0: Imagine making a podcast that the sole intention is for people to fall asleep to it while listening. Katherine Nikolai is the creator of the podcast. Nothing much happens. And she tells stories that she writes and, and makes up. And for the life of me, I can't listen to a full episode of her podcast without falling asleep. It works. It's gotten to the point where my wife, if she's like too wired, like we were just watching Squid Game on Netflix. And my wife was just too wired. She couldn't sleep. So she's like, can you put on that podcast? And I put it on. Nothing much happens. I swear to God, I don't even remember one or two minutes of Catherine's soothing voice talking to me through Alexa from her podcast, Nothing Much Happens. She has 55 million downloads. It's one of the most popular podcasts on the planet. I called Catherine and I'm like, how do you do it? And why did you do it? And what are you doing? She answered. Here she is. Oh, and before I forget, she talks about all the neuroscience behind what she does. All right, so Catherine, I have to tell you, last night, sadly, I have to admit this, I fell asleep while listening to your podcast. (laughs)
1: It's not a sad thing. That's the intention. I'd be more sad if it didn't put you to sleep.
0: You have (laughs) such a soothing, first off, these stories are so like pleasant and your voice is so soothing. It's sort of like, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a meditation listening to these stories.
1: I'm glad it feels that way.
0: It kind of like rolls over you like, like sleep should.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's meant to just kind of wrap you up in a blanket and you surrender sooner or later.
0: It's so fascinating. How did you first think of an idea? Let's not only tell stories, which is a legit podcast format in its own right, but let's tell stories that put people to sleep. <laughs> and they're short podcasts, yeah. by the way. Like you have tens of millions of listeners. Like people do. Up, you 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 point this out in your book, also. This is a podcast, of course. It's called Nothing Much Happens. As is the book, Nothing Much Happens. And anxiety, insomnia, people bringing their work to sleep, as you as you put it, is is. It's rampant now more than it ever was. Insomnia is rampant, and you are a solution. And <laughs> how did you ever think of this as a format for a podcast?
1: It came together in a couple of ways. One is that I have always told myself bedtime stories since I was four years old. Like, I've always done this. I, I I was a kid with a really big imagination, and when I figured out that I could, like, close my eyes and take my brain somewhere, I was like, why aren't we all doing this all the time? We could be anywhere. We could tell any story we liked. So I used them when I was a kid, and I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and, you know, it wasn't a super safe place even then. um, And I think there was an adaptive measure to that of me needing to feel safe before bed. And um, so I sort of developed this as a technique and I used it my whole life. And I found I could go to sleep. I could return to sleep if I woke in the middle of the night. And I was a yoga teacher for almost 20 years. And I would hear my students and my friends and people telling me, God, I can't sleep. I'm so anxious. I wake up a million times. And I kept thinking, I know how to do this? How do I get this from me to you? I can't come tuck you in. That's creepy. Maybe I, how do I get my concept into <laughs> your I think friends? that is
0: a, I think that is a job, right? I think yeah. there, there is a job called in. cuddler. <laughs> yeah. Where you, yeah. Yes.
1: Cuddle surrogate so, But yes, yeah. that's not what this is. <laughs> Sli- slightly different. So, you know, and all those years in the yoga room had really taught me like how to use my voice, how to help create mood, how to help people like, Step down from anxiety into a place where they could feel safe and relaxed. So I felt like I had all the tools, and at first I wanted it to be a book. But I just thought, like as a lay person who has no connections to the publishing industry, that just feels insurmountable that you're going to get a book published. So I put it on a shelf, and then ironically, I was up in the middle of the night, <laughs> and um, I thought, oh, it's a podcast. And I remember, like, ordering a microphone, like, sitting on the floor at 3 in the morning, like, so sure that it was the right thing to do. And we launched, like, a month and a half later.
0: It's really a unique format as a podcast. And my assumption is it works much better than the book because the podcast puts you to sleep.
1: (laughs) Well, some people do read the book to go to sleep, but I think... The world has changed since for a lot of us. Most of us aren't holding a book at night anymore. (laughs) And most of us are holding our devices. And even though we know that sucks for our sleep, um, that's the world we're living in. And walking that back I don't think is going to be super possible for most of us. So, you know, the nice thing about this is if you've got your device in your hand, your phone in your hand, and you know it's time for bed and you need to stop scrolling through TikTok and just put it down, you know what to do. You can turn it on. You can set a sleep timer or you can let it play all night. You turn out your light. I walk you through all the steps of that in the podcast. And then in the podcast, I tell the story twice. And there's something, there's some magic in that, in just knowing that it's going to be repeated. It gives people permission to let go because if any part of your brain is clinging on to, but I need to know what happens, even though right in the title I tell you nothing will, as soon as I say it's going to be repeated there's some comfort in that. I think it's the same as, you know, people who watch things like The Office over and over and over again. They know what to expect. It's comforting. It's comfortable. It feels like family or friends. It It's trying to fill that same kind of thing. But in sort of this nice sneaky way, it's also trying to teach you some mindfulness and gratitude and like that kind of good healthy yoga teacher granola that we would like to feed you. <laughs>
0: I want to dive into the process of the stories, but I want to also first talk about all this sort of comes together. Like you tell these stories that are very soothing. It's not like The Office in which, you know, a big part of the challenge of The Office is finding the right plot and twist for a 24-minute show that also has enough comedy and jokes and laughs and punchlines and you know, giving a bunch of the actors, you know, storylines in each episode. In this case, it's almost like you're walking around in the fall, and I feel it. And you see like somebody closing their bookstore, or, or you know, as in one story, opening the bakery in the morning, and there might be snow coming down. Like I could picture a Catherine story.
1: I'm so glad.
0: It's a very like distinctive style. But what is your process for writing these stories?
1: No, I get it because as a writer. I was taking a fiction writing class maybe four or five years ago and I asked the professor, can I write a story or a book about nothing? And uh, she said very kindly, no. (laughs) Um, You know, characters need arcs, plot needs turning points, there needs to be a journey. Right. Of course, when I published my book literally called Nothing Much Happens, I really wanted to send her a copy. Um, (laughs) But I felt like that gave me some freedom as an artist because they were uncharted waters. And so I knew that there's a couple things I think about whenever I sit down to write. One is that I'm mostly creating a mood. And it should kind of feel like you said, like you're stepping into a snow globe or something. Like it's all atmospheric. And it's also really familiar and recognizable. So even if it hasn't, it isn't your particular experience, you've never done the thing that the story is talking about, it's super relatable. And you can imagine yourself in it and how you would feel if you were there. So I always think, like, a pleasant experience, this is the recipe, I'm giving away the goods here, pleasant experience, plus some element of nostalgia or easily recognized, relatable experience, and then a ton of sensory details. Because there isn't so much action, it all has to revolve around your senses. And that's, of course, what makes us present when we practice mindfulness. We notice how things sound or feel, like you said, being on the street and noticing the leaves fall, listening to the wind blow. These are the things that keep you present in the moment. And there's some neuroscience here to explain why that's the way my listeners and my readers are going to fall asleep.
0: What's the neuroscience?
1: So basically, it has to do with brain activity. So we have this uh, pattern of brain activity called your default mode network. Think DMN, and sometimes I even think of it as demon because when you are in your default mode, it is sort of like the background static. It's what your brain does when it does not have a job to do. And it's most recognizable, like if you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you just feel the wheels start to spin, and you think, I didn't order this, where's this coming from? And all of a sudden you're back in your to-do list, how am I going to get back to sleep? And th- sometimes you might get stuck in that for like 45 minutes, an hour. That's your default mode. And in order to fall asleep, you need to move out of default mode and into what's called task positive network. And the task positive network is basically your brain now has a job to do. So the job in the podcast world, or even, you know, if your mom told you to count sheep, is basically to just follow along with the story. You're following along with my voice, with the shape I'm creating, or you were counting your sheep, or you were counting your breaths. But You're giving your brain a job to do, and that took it out of default mode and put it into task-positive mode. That's how how we fall asleep. So in the podcast, I often remind people, you know, as they're falling asleep, you're listening to my voice, no problem. I bet you're going to fall asleep. But let's say you wake up in the middle of the night. You could listen again. Or if you just walk yourself back through any part of the story that you can remember, usually within 10 seconds, people will fall right back to sleep because they go right back to their task-positive mode. And they drop off.
0: Has anyone told you, like, what's the fastest they've fallen asleep after (laughs) turning on your podcast?
1: Yes, because, you know, sometimes I joke that I don't know why I need so many episodes (laughs) because a lot of people have never heard 75% of them. So I say my name about 12 seconds in, and a lot of people tell me they're out by the time they hear my name because it is progressive. It's brain training, you know, so you start basically setting up this automatic response. It's a little Pavlovian. And so people tell me, you know, at first I had to listen to the whole episode, sometimes two episodes, and then it was 20 minutes. And now by the time you say your name, I'm out. It really takes pressure off me as a writer. I'm like, no one's even hearing this. Just <laughs> Right.
0: Also, I feel like you're right. The absence of, I mean, the stories are beautiful. I'm not discounting the stories at all, but the absence of, it's, it's basically not a thriller. Right. It's uh, not or, meant to be. Right. And... So the the absence of that must make the writing process—I hate to say—easier because I'm sure it's not that. I'm sure it's very difficult to write these. But uh, you know, you could basically take the elements of your day. Like it's probably a good meditation for you actually while you're walking around your town to notice the small beautiful things that inspire you, and then that's a, you could have a story about that.
1: Yeah. And because of all my years in yoga, I felt like my brain was already trained for that, trained to look for good stuff. You know, we have this negativity bias that we inherited from our ancestors that basically means we give more attention and time and care to scary stuff than sweet stuff. Um, It just takes up more space and holds more weight in our minds. So in order to have like a realistic view of the world, we have to go out of our way to look for good things. And that's not putting on rose-colored glasses. That's actually just taking off the gray ones because our brain tilts us toward that negative bias. So part of my practice was already to like lean in to anything that felt good, that was pleasant, that was appreciative or appreciable in the world. So I felt like I was already kind of stocked and that's how I kind of moved through the world. But you're right, like writing these is an absolute joy. And because I don't have to keep track of a plot or arrive at any point or write about anything, even mildly unpleasant, <laughs> it's really it's really pleasurable to write about.
0: So let's say I or a listener wanted to write a story that has mm-hmm. this kind of feel to it, a Catherine-style story, a nothing-much-happens story. Like, what, what would be my process? Like, how would I write a story like this? And I've written... A lot and and continue to write, but I've never written a nothing much happens sort of story.
1: Gosh, I've never thought about how to teach someone else to do it. But as a teacher, that's that's always interesting to me.
0: It is an interesting process to think about because yeah. you create a very successful podcast, you've published the book, and i I bet you this is the style of writing which doesn't really have suffer from much writer's block.
1: You're right. I, I find so many interesting things to write about all the time, and because I imagine that all these stories are happening in the same universe, or I literally call it the village of nothing much, it's really fun for me. You know, I wrote a story a little while ago, and the narrator is walking down the alley and sees an apartment window a couple floors up get nudged up in the summertime, and hears music coming out. And then I thought last week, like, who lives in that apartment? And let me tell that person's story. So to me, that's one of the ways that I often find my way through the village and find new stories to tell. It's some things are, you know, I know are going to happen seasonally: the Halloween story, the Thanksgiving story, the New Year's story.
0: Fall is a very sleepy kind of thing to write.
1: Like the colors are very sleepy. It's a very cozy time of year, Um, but my stories do follow the seasons, you know, to the month. So, except for my listeners in the Southern Hemisphere, they usually line up pretty well with where you are. Um, But I think the process would be maybe to just, as you said, as you move through your day, look for maybe like three moments where you were aware that you were witnessing something good. Something felt good, tasted good. You saw someone being kind or being smart or, you know, using what power they had to help somebody else. And then you start to flush out. And because you, I can sort of write in this, Um, stream of consciousness way because I don't have to look for these turning points in the action, really frees you up as a writer to just linger and be like, you know, what's the next thought here? And even if it doesn't have to go anywhere, can I express it? Because isn't that what it's like to be in your head? (laughs) It feels actually really familiar and comforting.
0: It's interesting. Like This is another reason why I asked you about the process. So I don't walk around during the day and find three beautiful things that <laughs> inspire me. And a lot of the time I spend all day right here in this room right. doing podcasts, for instance, or yeah. writing or or doing other things. And even the act itself of doing this probably leads to a more pleasant life. So, So what would you rather do? See the latest on Twitter about vaccines one way or the <laughs> other, or walk around your town and watch the leaves <laughs> fall and you smell smells from a bakery and you, you wonder who's behind a, a, a window where they need a little bit more air. And yeah. it's great. Like yeah. that in itself is a meditation. Like, okay, I need to go out and do this. And if something arises from my everyday world, I need to put that aside. I'm outside doing my, my research for, for story. So it's, it's a form yeah. of uh, it's like, a, you describe walking meditation in, in your book, but it's a form of walking meditation
1: It is. And I've always been pretty good about not needing to justify taking those, doing that just for my own enjoyment. But I do think of it as research and development. I need to go do those things and be with people. It was tricky for me, you know, maybe the first six, especially like maybe the first six months of quarantine when we really weren't leaving the house at all. But I'm also a good daydreamer. So (laughs) I can take my mind lots of places, imagine lots of things. Um, but yeah, now I really make a point of daily walks and stuff like that.
0: And yes, it's not about justifying. It. It's more of an excuse. Like oh, I need to get out of here and do this, which uh, you know, it's sort of a reminder really, like, I'm just thinking of myself, like if it would be a reminder to me, okay, now I've got to do this and find beautiful things yeah. out there. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah. What if you put it sounds. right into
1: your calendar? I mean, even just for mental yeah. health, right? <laughs>
0: I should do that. I feel like I used to do that more. So you did this as a podcast, and I don't know what you were thinking in the beginning, but when did you realize, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a huge success? Like, how many how many downloads have you had so far?
1: Uh, probably around 55 million.
0: 55 million. And when was your first – what day was your first episode?
1: It was in April of 2018. So we haven't been at it too long.
0: Three and a half years. And so yeah. – Fifty-five million downloads. That's that's very good. That's that's high-quality podcast. Yeah. And like, when did you realize? Oh, this is I'm going to make a living doing this.
1: Well, it went pretty quick. Um, we got within the first month, we were on the new and noteworthy page of Apple, and that helped us really reach a lot of people. And I've never had to advertise it, but people talk about it and share it, and I even hear from physicians and people who work in mental health, who tell me, oh, yeah, we use this all the time with our clients. I had a teacher yesterday who said that they used it with their um, sophomore class and somebody fell asleep in class, but she thought it was probably what they needed and it calmed everybody down. So I had a feeling that it would work. I had no idea it would get this big and that it would help people in the way that I didn't see. Like I knew it would help people sleep. I really didn't anticipate how many people with PTSD, with night terrors, with Really bad anxiety. It would help. I hear from those people all the time, and that just blows my mind because I'm so grateful to be able to be a source of comfort in that moment. And I just didn't foresee how helpful it would be to people who have those kind of needs. So that part is really humbling.
0: So, so people, people basically listen to it and they said, "Oh, this is great. It put me to sleep. I'm going to share this with my friend who has trouble yeah. sleeping." So you found that a lot of the growth was. Just organic, just organic sharing. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why people chose, because I never would even think of like a podcast. And this is why I, I credit your creativity. I never would think of a podcast to help me go to sleep. Like usually I would think of, oh, here's the latest device. It has vibrations <laughs> on my wrist. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I'll wear dark blue glasses and mm-hmm. uh, all these things. So, so people essentially have to choose your podcast, perhaps over these other things in some cases. And that's an interesting choice. Like, why do you think this is more successful than a lot of those sleep aids you can find there on Amazon?
1: Yeah, I think because it has to do with your mentality, with how you think. You know, another reason that I wanted to create this was because I was, I'm a huge reader and I've always read Before Bed, like my whole life. But I noticed this trend in literature a couple of years ago. Um, I call it despair porn. (laughs) Because I would find that book after book after book, it was like the most upsetting combination of characters and situations, the least redeemable people, every single circumstance, as gut-wrenching as it could be. I read like six books in a row. And I'm usually somebody who I don't stop halfway through a book. If you wrote a book and I started it, I'm going to finish it. But I would close these books and then try to sleep. And I could not find a place to put my brain after being in that really upsetting place. And that's just fiction. So if you've been reading the news, where are you going to put your brain to successfully get sleep?
0: I have to say, Airbnb to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> The UPS. No, but our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Recently, I noticed I was having trouble sleeping, and it was I was rewatching The Sopranos, <laughs> and my wife had never watched it, and so. I figured, oh, it's, you know, a classic show. I'll watch it with her. And then to kind of lighten things up, I would also watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, the mm-hmm. HBO show with Larry David. It's a yeah. sitcom. And it really, all these shows started to really disturb me. Like everyone's either committing crimes, cheating on their spouses, lying, you know, there, there's violence. Uh, even, in, And I'm talking about Curb Your Enthusiasm. I'm not even <laughs> talking about The Sopranos yet. And uh, uh and I'm someone who always used to read too before going to sleep, but even I feel, and I wonder if you feel this, I feel like literature has changed. Like there's so many literary authors who got MFAs in fiction where they basically, the the plots are, I find the plots are all the same. A professor who's uh, uh, unhappy and a failed writer falls in love with a student and things happen. And, like, they, and, and oh, it just so happens this person has always been either in, in academia. They went MFA, then they became professor, and now they're writing a fiction, a novel about a professor who's unhappy, and an unhappy writer. Yeah. And <laughs> and then the other choices are like, you know, genre works, which are very, you know, genre fiction could be extremely good and, and high quality, but that's a little bit more fast paced and intense. It's hard to find something to read before you go to bed.
1: Yeah, and that's, I, I feel like I wrote it because I needed it. And, you know, I think you're right that I remember I was reading this book by a really famous author. And when it got to the part where, like, the 15 year old daughter got raped by the stepdad and they were addicted to math and the little brother got his legs broken, I was like, okay, okay, listen, this is like a sucker punch. Yes. Or it's like feeding me a plate of hot sauce and calling it a meal. You are going to make me feel something good for you. Is it the only flavor in the world? Is this it? Why is it gauche to write about something that isn't absolutely awful? But that's, I felt like, the turn that literature had taken. That if you weren't writing about constant misery, then you were a kid. And I thought, okay, I'll be a kid. I don't care. I want, I want to find someplace soft to put my mind before I go to bed. And so I, and people ask me sometimes for, can I recommend books like mine? I so far not a lot. I don't find a lot that, that fill that niche. So um, I hope that you know that's what the book offers to people. That especially if they've been reading something upsetting, scrolling through, watching people be cruel to each other, you can't go right from that to sleep. You know, there's no device that's going to fix that you need to soften. There's got to be this decompression chamber between the world out there and the soft place where you can sleep. So that's what I try to provide. And then it is a little aspirational. I know people sometimes say, you know, like this world could never exist. And I'm like, I know. (laughs) I'm trying to suggest it. (laughs) I'm trying to suggest that when you go out tomorrow, that you look for the way that you could be like a kind person in the world.
0: Well, what What's your sleep process like? And how many hours of sleep do you get per night?
1: Pretty solidly eight to nine.
0: Yeah, eight to nine is um, is great.
1: Yeah, I'm sleep hungry. I need, I need that much. Um, I try, you know, one thing I noticed is that when the lockdown started, we started getting into bed like way too early just for the comfort of it. And I don't begrudge us that then, but I need to stop that now because now it's like my body doesn't remember that bed equals sleep because mm-hmm. I've I, I spent like way too many hours in bed just relaxing and trying to like stay sane so now I try to um not get into I usually go to sleep around 10 so I don't get into bed until nine. But then I usually read. I sometimes journal. If there's anything in my mind, then I feel like if it exists in the world, I don't have to hold it in my head. So I write it down. And usually it's stuff that I don't, it isn't real. I don't actually need it, but I just need it to download it. Sometimes I'll even set a timer, like five-minute download. Okay, just write anything that comes up in your head. Just discharge it. Um, and then I read my book. And when I go to sleep, when I lay down and finally turn off the light, I definitely still practice this where I take my mind someplace soft. I have my own, you know, all my own stories there. Some of them take place on the Starship Enterprise, whatever. But <laughs> it's where I feel happy and safe. So I still use that technique. It works well for me.
0: Sorry to interrupt, but you should write fan fiction in your style. <laughs> I know. Like Captain Kirk's I sleep process. I about
1: it. I'm like, what? Right, or on the TARDIS, you know, that's all. <laughs> so oh my God. yeah. So I sleep really well. Yeah, I usually go to bed around 10, get up around 6.
0: When's your last time you eat?
1: Um, When I'm hungry. I had eating disorders for most of my life. So to me, the most essential thing is to honor my body's instincts. Sometimes people tell me that they'll say, oh, I'm so hungry when I re- listen to your story and I had food. And I say, my dear, if you are hungry, please eat. So if I am hungry at six o'clock I eat, if I need to get up and get a snack before I bed, I do it without any hesitation because I trust my belly to tell me when I need to fill it.
0: And and what do you do? Like, let's say, you know, you mentioned three in the morning people often wake up and I think that's that's really true. And I've heard different accounts of what one should do. If you wake up and your mind is like fully alert, do you yeah. get up for a little while and do something? Or, you know, like you mentioned, okay, people should listen to your podcast. And I bet that works, but what, what do you do or what have you done in the past when you've woken up at three in the morning with that, with your brain humming?
1: Yeah. I know that for some people it works to get out of bed because again, they're creating an association that they're not sleeping in bed and that's not great, but Mm -hmm. I've never needed to do that. It's always better for me to start a story in my head. And I always, you know, sometimes I suggest to people, if you're going to tell the story in your head, start with the title because A lot of times I will say to myself the title of the story in my head, and I feel like it's that moment, if you remember when we used to watch TV with the commercials, and you'd be in the kitchen making a sandwich, and then somebody would be like, the show's back on. You come running back and jump on the couch. As soon as I say to my brain the title, as soon as I say, a block from home, Okay, the show's back on. That means all this chitter chatter nonsense going on in the background of my brain needs to shush mm. it, because we're about to watch the show. And often, within like ten seconds of saying that and starting to walk myself through the details, I pass right back out. But that's wow, you know so I've been doing this since a story I was four. On the fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But I'm I, I'm gonna try this. Like I've never kind of told myself a story to sleep. So so. So let's say I wake up at 3 in the morning, I'll think of something that happened during the day, something pleasant, and Mm -hmm. I'll tell a story about it. Like maybe what I saw a baby, what the baby was thinking when he or she was crawling around or whatever. And uh, I'm going to try that technique.
1: I think it works especially well too. if anything emotionally charged happened during the day, go way back to like a pleasant memory. Like maybe there's a house you lived in when you were a kid or when you were younger and you really loved that space. Like start at the front door and walk yourself through the rooms of the house. And just remember the way the light looked when it came in, how the doorknob felt in your hand start turning off the lights, lock the door behind you so you feel really safe and no one's going to bother you. And just work your way through the rooms. There's no action there. It's just about the mood, the feeling of being safe, and the details of those sensory experiences. That's a pretty easy way, especially if you feel like, oh no, now I have to make up a story. That's more pressure. (laughs) Start with something that you know really well that feels pretty wholesome and, and like a comfortable place to be and just walk yourself through the details of it.
0: All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try Let this. This is, a great, this is a great idea. It's a great technique. And then what kind of yoga did you do or did you teach?
1: I taught um, a lot of Ashtanga Vinyasa and slow flow styles sort of for everybody styles. And I, I taught right up until two months ago when I sold my yoga studio just because I need to do this full time now. So um, I miss it and I still practice, but I do miss getting to teach every day.
0: Oh wow! Congratulations on selling the studio, Thanks. though, and and making a living from the from the podcast. I, I Ashtanga is is interesting because it's very intense. I never think of it as a soothing kind of <laughs> yoga, but I do feel tired afterwards when I do it because it's <laughs> it's really hard. It's like a, I I don't know if it's I don't know other kinds of yoga really, but it's not really like a relaxing yoga. I found. Have you ever been to um, yeah. Mysore where they kind of Ashtanga originated? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I haven't actually been to Mysore, India, but um, I did practice. uh, My teacher would teach a Mysore-style practice at 5.30 in the morning. I did that for years, and I would teach it myself. So you're right. um, Not every aspect of my life was super relaxing. (laughs) But, you know, the structure of Ashtanga, it being sort of the same every time you do it, that I found very comforting. And even though I would go into vinyasa, which is sort of like the, the forms of Ashtanga all shuffled up, and we take all the rules and break them then I would do that for a long time. And then I'd come back and do Ashtanga. I'd be like coming home. And I'd be like, oh, I know this so well. My body knows this so well. So, you know, even that had its comfort.
0: Of course, in yoga, there's physical yoga and then there's breath yoga, pranayama, which which right. happens somewhat in Ashtanga. You breathe into the stretch. And then, of course, there's meditation, which I feel like a lot of yoga practitioners forget that meditation is just as important as the physical yoga in, in yoga in in the real tradition of yoga
1: yeah we always said it was the highest form
0: yeah and and i think that's a very important aspect of of sleeping and and people misunderstand often what meditation is and not that i'm going to be an expert and explain it but i will give my my version i'd love to hear, hear what what you think it's it's sure. basically just noticing things and it's okay to get distracted but then you pull out and say oh i was just distracted thinking about this person who yelled at me or this thing I'm stressed about. I, my mind went down that path, yeah. And meditation is just constantly about noticing all of those things that distract you, and that, and that's basically it.
1: Yeah, that's it. You know, I would usually describe it as a special kind of attention, which is just non-judgmental attention. Which is like you say, if your mind wanders, you don't get frustrated. There's no disappointment there. You just notice, acknowledge. Oh, yep, I just uh, got distracted, and then I start back and. Yeah, at my breath or whatever the focal point of my attention is so yeah I taught a ton of meditation I I trained in uh, Vipassana style meditation which is a traditional Buddhist style it's like the 10 day go away sit in silence kind of meditation um, and um, that's a gift I feel like I'm so glad I did that because it really uh, shifted things for me
0: you structure your podcast in terms of seasons why do you do seasons uh, maybe I should do this <laughs>
1: You know, initially it was because I did three months on and then took three months off to write and record the second season. And then um, I started doing podcasts every other week. And I had a, you know, a room in my house made up so I could record them. And I so I didn't need to take the time off. But my audio engineer was like, please keep the seasons. It's too much for us to keep track of. <laughs> So, and now we've, now we've gone to weekly episodes and then on my premium channel, I also have a bonus monthly episode. So um, now we have, I think 108, we've, we've done a lot of sleepy stories.
0: What I like about your podcast too, the idea of it is it's very unique. Let's say a million podcasts launch this year, Mm -hmm. 999,000 of them will be interview podcasts, kind of like mine, although I've been experimenting with the format a little bit in in other ways. If someone was going to start a podcast today, How would you suggest they think about having a unique format?
1: Yeah, it's tricky. I get asked this a lot, and usually, you know, my advice doesn't correlate because, like you say, my podcast has a different kind of setup than what it's going to be for most people. So I usually say, look for a need and then fill it with something quality. I saw this need for a way for people to settle into sleep, and I tried to fill it with something quality, and I was successful. You know, and then I think also adjust your um, expectations a bit. If you do uh, an interview kind of podcast and maybe it's quite a niche area, it's not going to appeal to 100% of the population. So adjust yourself a little bit and redefine what you consider success to be. You know, if it's going to be I pay my bills with it or it's going to be it helps somebody have a better day or it's going to be I had an interesting conversation and I learned something new, you need to think about what success means to you as a podcaster. And it can't be a one-size-fits-all experience just because we're creating really different things. People often will write to me as other podcasters and say, oh, wow, your podcast was number four today today. You know, in the health section, I saw it there. How did you – how can I do that with mine? Usually I say, I don't know. (laughs) I don't really know how I got there either, except I try to make things as quality as they can be. I think audio quality is super important. Um, And so I have a good engineer, and, you know, I pay him. I don't expect to get things for free. I feel like that's another mistake new podcasters make is – Sometimes I'm on these groups and I see somebody saying, you know, I want to do it, but can I pay somebody $15? No, you cannot. <laughs> that is a professional. <laughs> you need to pay them properly for their time. And you're right. you know? Audio
0: quality is like the key thing because no one's going to, yeah. people might, I've noticed early on, people might listen to something if they really love the content, they might listen to a podcast with, with not high audio quality, but they're definitely not going to share it.
1: They're not going to recommend it a hundred percent.
0: But it's interesting though. I'm going to deconstruct a little bit what you said. You started at the age of 4 telling these stories to yourself to put yourself to sleep. Like this is like a a lifelong passion for you in a weird way yeah. of yeah. writing intersected with sleeping. You know, yeah. between the yoga and the meditation on the sleep and the telling yourself stories to sleep and and writing and writing these particular kinds of stories. This is almost an intersection of everything you've done in life. In podcast yeah, form. <laughs> and and I That's encourage true. people to to look for themselves. Like, let's say you're tired of being an accountant. What did you love doing at the age of 10 or 12 or 13? And how has that aged? Meaning, like, you're not going to tell yourself the same stories you told yourself when you were four, but you have maybe right. a more sophisticated take on storytelling. And you might not have done yoga or meditation. You didn't even know what it was at age four. But your stories have that element now. And yeah. And you've studied about neuroscience now. So it's aged with you, the, your fascination with all these things. And, and, and that's a healthy way to, to find what your current passions are is what did you love doing and how has it aged? You took a break to be an accountant for 30 years. I'm, I'm hypothetically <laughs> making that up yeah. to, to about a listener. And now what is, go back to something you really loved as a child and figure out what it looks like now for you.
1: Yeah, that's a really beautiful way to think about it, is that we all have these passions that drive us, right? And they've formed us in some way. And there's a reason we come back to them, because they fascinate us or connect to us in some way. Can you turn that into something that is useful or, you know, serves someone or entertains someone or, you know, broadens your horizons? I think it doesn't work to copy somebody else. It doesn't have that authenticity. But if you find the thing that you're really passionate about, you'll probably be successful.
0: Yeah. Well, gosh, I even talking to you, I feel like my voice is becoming more soothing, <laughs> which is hard to believe because I don't like the sound of my voice. No one likes the sound of their voice. But I feel like I'm soothed. Just I could, I could go take a nap right now just talking to you. So, I have this
1: effect on people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny if you were giving like a TED Talk and by the end of the TED Talk, everybody was asleep in the audience. And then it gets like 17 million views because people use that TED Talk to go to sleep. So, it could
1: happen. So you're like Ted, the most
0: successful TED speaker ever.
1: TED Talks, uh, get in touch. I'm here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so so Catherine, Nikolai, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. You have uh, an enormously successful and great podcast. Nothing much happens. And nothing much happens except the stories are great. I think people should listen or sometimes try to listen to the whole stories because they're beautiful, they're insightful. <laughs> and like I just said just now, thank even... You hearing your voice in that soothing way makes me feel more relaxed. Like literally right now I feel more relaxed than an hour ago. And
1: I'm so glad it's, to it's, hear it.
0: And then try all, people should try all your sleep is so important. You know, yeah. it's you can't make up for it. Like if you sleep five hours no. a day during the week and then 10 hours on the weekend, it doesn't work that way. Like you can't really make no. back the sleep, uh, you, you know, you say you you sleep eight or nine hours. That's about what I try to sleep and on a good day I'll, I'll do it, but it's, a, it's such an important thing. And if this is a one tool that helps or an extra tool that helps, then I highly recommend it. And it works. I, like I said, I wasn't joking. I fell asleep last night <laughs> listening to nothing much happens. But again, I do recommend people listen, try listening to the whole thing if you want, because the stories are beautiful. And, and there's also the book, nothing much happens. So, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me.